Jared has been talking about a book for a while that he's been reading. And it's by Dane Ortland called Gentle and Lowly. The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers. And um, he's been talking about it for quite a while. Yeah, a couple of you shaking your head like, ah, yeah, I've been around him. Yeah, exactly. And um, he's loved the book. And so um, uh, right before the holiday, um, I picked up a copy of it. And um, I read the introduction in chapter 1. I'm blazing my way through it. And um, the introduction and what I've read so far has me thinking. Had me thinking a lot over the past three weeks. And he focuses on Matthew 11. So open up your Bibles or your apps or whatever it is you're going to read on. Open up to Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. I wish all those apps had the sound for page page turning so you could hear it as you, you know, you did this. You know what I mean? I don't know why they don't do that for us preachers. It makes us feel good. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my load is light. Um, perhaps some of the most inviting endearing words that we would hear the Savior speak. I also want to read it to you from Kenneth Wiest's Greek translation that he does it from. A little longer, but I appreciate his emphasis in places. And So let me read it to you from his translation from, by Kenneth Wiest. Come here to me, all who are growing weary to the point of exhaustion, and who have been loaded with burdens and are bending beneath their weight. And I alone will cause you to cease from your labor, And take away your burdens and thus refresh you with rest. Take at once my yoke upon you and learn from me because I am meek and lowly in heart. And you will find cessation from labor and refreshment for your souls. For my yoke is mild and pleasant and my load is light in weight. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, it is really exceptional. Orland says that only, that only in one place do we hear Jesus himself open up his heart to us. In the one place in the Bible where the Son of God pulls back the veil and lets us peer way down into the core of who he is. And we are not told that he is austere and demanding. We are not told that he is exalted and dignified in heart. We are not even told that he is joyful and generous in heart. Letting Jesus set the terms, his surprising claim is that he is gentle and lowly in heart. In other words, because this is, I mean, literally I've watched thousands of hours of stupid TV in the past three weeks, all right? One of the few redeeming hours was The Wizard of Oz, all right? Can I get an amen? Okay, fine. But there's the scene. There's the scene, right? Where Toto pulls back the curtain to find out who the wizard really is. And that's akin to what Ortland is saying about this passage. It is in this passage where the curtain is pulled back to see the heart of the Savior for what it really is. 
for I am meek and lowly. There are so many things that we as Christians know, you know, or that we think we know, we try to know about Jesus and his heart. There are some of us who feel like he's very demanding, that he's very exacting, that you have to follow every single thing. And he sets his standards really high, and he speaks in riddles and parables, and he says things that are incredible to believe, are incredible to understand. But in this passage, there's no riddle, there's no parable, there's no unreachable standard to attain. It's not hard to understand, but it might be hard to believe, because he is offering what we all want, rest. I came to Jesus as I was, weary and worn and sad. I found in him a resting place, and he has made me glad. From one of the old Puritans, Horatio, Horatius Bonar. Come. That's what he starts out with. Just come, he says. How easy is that? What is hard about that invitation? Jesus says, come to me. And as we read in the Gospels, we see that happening so many times. <clears throat> Um, I don't know about you, but I mean, many of us, I think, that are familiar with the Gospels, we, there are all these encounters that Jesus has with these everyday people. But they're not just everyday people. They are people who are suffering in, in just a multitude of ways, right? And so it's in, that, it's in all of these encounters that he says, come. He says, come to the confused and to the desperate like Nicodemus. And that's my take on Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a man with great power and great influence and great knowledge, and yet he was confused and desperate to understand who Jesus was and what he was teaching. And he said to Nicodemus, come. And and Nicodemus is like, how can these things be true? And I think that there are many of us who feel the same way, that we're confused and we're desperate. And we can't fathom to know all that Jesus has been saying to us. And we are struggling with what it means to follow him. He says, come to those who are shunned by society, like the woman at the well, the woman caught in adultery, the Samaritans, the lepers, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed, the deaf, the demon-possessed, the woman with the issue of blood, the tax collectors. All these people were considered the scum of the earth. All these people were considered those that you do not associate with, those that should be set aside, those that should be isolated, those that should be shunned, those that should be invisible. You should not see them. You should not engage them. And yet it is to those that he says, come. And we see it time and time and time again. Consider in John 5 about the man who had suffered by the pool waiting for the waters to be stirred. He had said that he'd been paralyzed. It says that he is lame, I believe is how it describes him. And he says that he had been by the pool for 38 years. And when Jesus encounters him that day, he says, do you want to be healed? And he says, how can I? No man is here to help me go into the healing waters. In 38 years, no one. 
had seen him. Do you understand the difference of what I'm talking about? It's one thing to see someone. It's another thing to see them and engage them. This man by that pool had been invisible for 38 years. There were people there daily, were there not? There were people who came by and saw him, probably knew who he was when they passed by the pool. And yet in 38 years, no one had stopped to engage him. No one had stopped to see him, to acknowledge him, to acknowledge his need. Jesus says in, in Mark 2, 17, and, and in Luke 5, 31, that he didn't come for those who are healthy, but for the sick. That all these people we just talked about, the woman with the issue of blood, so desperate. Can you imagine her desperation? That if only I can touch the hem of his garment, that I can be healed. Can you imagine a leper who all, everyone shunned. And it was acceptable to shun them. Can you imagine that leper who had the boldness and the desperation to walk up to Jesus and say, if you want to, you can heal me. Can you imagine the weariness of each and every one of these individuals and so many others in here. And he came for them, the sick. But not just the sick who are physically sick. <clears throat> he came for those who knew they needed rest. He came for those who knew they needed help. Sinners who were weary in their ways for all their lies and deception. Those who were weighed down by shame. Those who felt sorrow and regret for the sins they had committed against a holy God and were burdened with the guilt of their crimes. And even believers. Wickedly tempted and oppressed by the remains of their flesh. Weighed down by the things they had done in the past. And he says that you, you can come and I can give you rest from that weariness. Weary and heavy laden, Jesus says. Not those who can do it themselves, but those who know they can't do it. God is eternally opposed to the proud but stands ready to give abundant grace to the humble of heart, James 4, 6. Weary, <clears throat> it presents this pathetic picture of one who is persistently, physically weary and tired, spiritually exhausted, discouraged, and ready to throw in the towel. One commentator on talking about weary, he says, the Lord's purpose in laying burdens upon us is to weary us out. We cannot learn our religion or our faith in any other way. We cannot learn it from the Bible nor from the experience of others. It must be a personal work wrought in the heart of each. And we must be brought, all of us, 
if ever we are to find rest in Christ, to be absolutely wearied of our sin and self and to have no righteousness, no goodness, no holiness of our own. The effect then of all of our spiritual labor, labor is to bring us to this point, to be weary of the world, for we feel it, for the most part, to be a valley of tears, to be weary of self, for it is our greatest plague, weary of professors, who, for we cannot see them in the grace of God, which alone we prize and value, weary of the profane, of the ungodly conversations that hurt our minds and our hearts, weary of our bodies, for they are often full of sickness and pain and always clogs to our soul and weary of life, for we see the emptiness of those things which to most people make life so agreeable. By this painful experience, we come to this point to be worn out and wearied, and there we must come before we can rest entirely on Christ. As long as we can rest in the world, we shall rest in it. But as long as the things of this time and sense can gratify us, they shall gratify us. As long as we can find anything pleasing in self, we shall be pleased with self. As long as there anything visible and tangible can satisfy us, that we will be satisfied by. But when we get weary of all the things visible, of all the things tangible, of all the things sensible, weary of ourselves and of all things here below, then we want to rest upon Christ in Christ alone. He says, I give you rest. Notice that we are not invited to master a doctrine, <clears throat> to master a theology, to memorize a scripture, as good as all that may be and as necessary as all that may be. But we are called to Jesus, our great Savior, our great Shepherd. A Shepherd who is divine, and he himself is the one he calls us to, and so it's he himself is our rest. Some of you might remember what it was like when you first experienced that kindness and that grace when you encountered Jesus. You had spent your life seeking approval and trying to be seen, trying to be noticed, trying to make a name for yourself, to end the isolation and the crippling vulnerability that life had trapped you in. And you were like the man by the pool. Everyone saw you, but no one came to you. No one acknowledged you. No one gave you dignity. And it's like you were invisible, although you were in plain sight. And some of us still feel that way. There is a rest that Jesus offers that makes us know we are seen, that we are there, and our pain and our struggle is known, even if we never speak of it, because he knows it. He knows our brokenness, and he knows the scars we bear. And he wants to do a work with them and in us that is a testimony to his nature and to his character. But he also wants to do a work through us. He wants us to see the invisible and the hard to notice, and the hard to love, and those whose brokenness is always evident. <clears throat> there are people like that among us here as a church family. That they, they come, and they sit, and they're faithful to be here, 
but most of us don't know them. Don't know their names. Don't know their stories. Don't know why they sit alone. We talked that we don't ever want any of us to face trouble alone. Neither do we want any of us to be invisible when you come to church. No one in our church family should be unknown or invisible because Jesus sees you and he calls you. And I think he wants to use you to love and to see and to give dignity to others that the world will never do that for. But there's another challenge beyond our church family. There are many out there that we make invisible and unseen and overlooked. But it is very possible that in the context of your life, it's very possible that in the path that you walk regularly, that you are called to one of these kind of people. I came across an essay that a couple of you have shared this week that was very moving to me. And to me, it's an expression of Jesus calling and saying, come to me, all you are weak and heavy laden. But in the essay, he's speaking to us to extend that visibility. He's calling to us to extend that dignity. He's calling to us to extend that fellowship of the family to those that most people would want to walk on past. In a sense, to give rest. But we know that we're talking about Jesus is the one who gives it. But to bring these people into this rest. And I think he wants to accomplish that through us. <clears throat> and if not us, then who? And so when the people we're talking about here that I'm about to read from this essay, they're, they're not necessarily people that are sitting here in Newtown Township, Newtown Borough. They're probably not sitting in Holland where you live or in Hamilton where you live. They are very invisible. And yet they're there for those who have eyes to see and those who have a heart to see. So let me read this essay to you. The addict, the prostitute, the person talking to themselves on the street, they were someone's child once. They're still someone's child. Those people were decided on before the foundation of the world. Just like me, just like you, they're desired by God. Maybe not by us or by society, but by God. He wants them. He wants them and passionately pursues them. Even now, in the middle of their addiction, their psychosis, their blackout, their trick, Jesus loves them passionately. Grace. What is the limit for grace? The Christian cutoff. Christians draw a line in the sand between a child neglected, which they extend grace to, and those who made poor choices because of their condition. Is that how Jesus dealt with you? What was your condition when he found you? 
We don't know anything about the choices of these broken souls. We don't know what horrific storms they've survived, their circumstances, loss, demons, or demise. We don't know the abuse, the torture, the rape, the genetics, the generational curses. We don't know, yet we, are so, we have so often decided. Who decided about you? We know nothing about these people, and yet we throw judgment around like confetti. Do we even remember the countless things we've been forgiven? Those memories we don't talk about, carefully hidden in a box, neatly tucked under your bed? You know the one, and I know mine. What if we had walked through the nightmare they've called life? Would we have a fractured mind and a damaged soul? How bad does your reality have to be to drive you to the place where demons hold you captive for all the world to see? Would I have survived at all? Have we considered that that this person might be the very reason we've been brought into the kingdom? That we're meant to be a living, breathing example of Jesus Christ? Compassion, love, grace, and kindness, and mercy is supposed to flow through us like a babbling brook. We've always meant to give this away. It's what was given to us. Was grace only reserved for the ones who sinned like us? Isn't it also the people for the people saved? Isn't it also for the people Jesus saved us from becoming? What if heaven is shouting, "You! This is your part of the assignment. God chose you." Go love that person. Yes, that one. The dirty one. The one with the track marks. Hug them. Tell them they have worth. Tell them that Jesus came to love them and why he came. Tell them all that you've been forgiven. Show them the love of Jesus and share with them the simple gospel. Or perhaps that's not it at all. Maybe I have it all wrong. What if it's not about them? What if it's about us? What if we're the students? Maybe those people, the ones we step over and never ask their name, maybe they're here for us, here to teach us how to display grace and an all-inclusive love. Maybe we're their assignment so we can understand the true heart of our Savior, Is it our dry bones that need to be brought to life? What if it's because we don't have spiritual eyes to see? Do we see a drunk, a hooker, a junkie? Can we see Jesus in them at all? Are they here because we have a heart condition? Are our hearts still stone? Are deaf and blind? Are we spiritually dead? In Luke 7, he writes, Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as she has great love, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. How much was I forgiven for? Will I look into the face of Jesus and say, I walked out my salvation? Or did I sift through his sheep? Did I live for his agenda or love only those who make me comfortable? Did I judge what I saw 
Or did I love as I was loved? Did I take the gospel for everyone? These people are included in Jesus's everyone. I pray we receive a, a greater measure of compassion, kindness, goodness, and generosity. I pray we revisit our past before we cast con condemnation on another. I pray we experience gratitude so deep and humbling that it stirs a fire within our spirits that we cannot ignore. I pray that taking action is our only divine reaction. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my load is light. Dear sweet Jesus, what an endearing invitation you extend from your heart to relieve us of our heavy loads of shame, of guilt, of whatever it may be, and to give us your load and to give us rest. Dear Lord, do a work in my heart. Do a work in the heart of our church. May we begin to see our seats filled with those that would be invisible any other place. May you give us 2020 vision to see the heart of Christ in the heart of others. May we be the hands and feet of you to those who desperately need to rest. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.